0: Good morning. So we were praying this morning at 9 o'clock, and if you if you uh, just have an hour to burn, no, seriously, I know most of you have little kids, So, but if you ever want to come, uh, if you're not coming and want to come at 9 or any time between 9 and 9.45 and pray on the other side of the magic curtain there, um, please come join us for prayer. But we were praying this morning for the gathering and for everything God's doing and going to do here. And... um we were, one of us, I think it was my mom, no surprise, prayed for, hey, Lord, if, if, if you just want us to dance, she was praying for freedom in worship, and she just said, if you want there to be dancing, uh, let us just dance before you. So I, I just want to say, Teddy was a direct answer to prayer this morning. Uh, that was really great, and Stephen came up behind me and, and made a joke about it, but it's wonderful to see. The little children are the ones leading us in uh, what it looks like, not that we have to dance, but just to be free before the Lord in our worship and in all things and cuz all things all of our lives should be should be worship and should be free before him and he's the one who sets us free. So anyway, I just enjoyed that and wanted to share that how Teddy was not an answered our prayers. Um so we are in the book of Acts which is really as we learned in the first sermon in this book, it's uh, right after it's the period of time where the church becomes the church because of what Christ has done and it's right after his resurrection and ascension And in the Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote, wrote Acts, and he really tells us from, right from the get-go that the book of Acts is the church, but the church is filled with the Spirit and is really the Spirit of Christ empowering these people through what he's done to continue to do and say what Jesus, uh, what, what he's doing and saying from heaven through his body. So we see that here. And last week, um, this, is, this is part two uh, of a little series in Acts 3, Last week was Show and Tell Ministry, part one, showing the love of, and power of Jesus, where Peter and John walk up to the temple um, mount to go pray, um, just as, as good Jews, for the evening prayers, evening sacrifice and prayers. And along the way, they, they see someone healed in Christ's name. We don't have any money. He kinda, you can kind of see Peter turn his pockets out and say, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I'm gonna give to you. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus raises this guy... Up, who's been an invalid since birth. So he's showing, and he mentions that here in this speech, he's showing the salvation and the power and the healing and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Um, But then he doesn't just go, that is fantastic that God healed you and we're gonna go pray now. He sees that all these people are rushing in because they know this guy's been an invalid for years and years his whole life. And he's running around now shouting praises to God. And so there's a scene, there's a commotion and, and Peter uses that as a platform to now tell the gospel. And I really just want to say, that's a challenge to me right there. I passed up on a couple opportunities this week to share to show and tell the gospel. Um, and, and just to be encouraged that, whether it's through a healing or through a word that we have someone or through um, just compassion and loving them and getting to serve them in any way that we're showing Jesus, I think a lot of times... Um, we, we kind of think out on, on articulating the gospel and telling people about what it is that God has loved them so much that they needed a savior to come and do what they couldn't do and to die in their place. And he's alive and he loves you and he's calling you to himself. Rather than, um, rather than articulating that a lot of times, we say, well, I want them to know I love them and we have a relationship and that's wonderful, but we kind of keep it there and we never actually use that relationship and use maybe the way that we're, we're loving them as a platform or the way that perhaps God's working in power through us to heal or to speak a word um, as a platform to, to actually preach the gospel to them. And this, is a, this confronts me as a, um, an encouragement to, to use whatever Christ is doing in you to proclaim the gospel, to articulate the gospel to people who are lost and, and, and heading to hell and, and desperate, And even if they don't know they're desperate, they're in a desperate place without Christ. And so that's what Peter does here. Um, In verse 12, as we talked about last week, he pushes all personal credit for the healing away from himself and he spots light Christ. He's like, this isn't me. This is Jesus through me. Um, Healing is by him. Salvation is by his power. Jesus heals and Jesus saves, but he often uses us. We're not the doctors. He's the doctor. He's the great physician. We're the midwives, we're the midwives. Um, we're not the one uh, who heals or sets free or saves. We're we're simply like uh, the postal worker. We're the UPS uh, agent who just takes the package of all that Christ has done to people and says, "Come, come and come and see Jesus. Come and see this Jesus who set me free." We're the seed scatterers, to use another metaphor. We're not the ones who give the growth. Peter wasn't the one who gave the growth, but he saw that he had a platform through what Christ had done to share Christ. And I want to challenge us to do the same, and I want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to do that. We scatter the seed, and God's the one who waters, and God's the one who brings the growth, and God is the sunlight. So the first point here is, is just, I just want to kind of trace Peter's telling of the gospel. He showed it, and now he's using it as a platform to proclaim it, to tell it. And so we just kind of look at kind of what he does. And the first thing that we see here that we glean is that we are a ruin. Point one, we're a ruin. Um, in, the, in the larger sort of scope of creation, Peter doesn't go here. Throughout Acts, there are a bunch of proclamations of the gospel, speeches of sharing Christ, and this is the second one from Peter, and we'll see others from Paul and Stephen, and um, and Peter as well as we move throughout the book, and they're each different. In this case, Peter doesn't go all the way back to the garden, but the fact is, a lot of times we want to start with Jesus loves you, but but really the fact is that there's a four part way to tell the whole. Um, arc of, of what God's doing in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what he's doing in history. And it starts with creation and how he made us for himself but how we screwed that up through the fall. That's the second movement. And it happens quickly. So through the fall and through our rebellion against God and our, the, that of our parents, we, we fell with them and we're born, we're born represented by Adam and Eve. We're born into a ruin and we're born separated from God and we're born hostile to God. And that's why we feel so much angst and brokenness, whether or not we will admit it inside. And that's why we see so much in the world outside. But Paul, I mean, Peter really focuses in on rather than going creation, fall, and then taking them to Christ, he starts just straight out with the cross, which is kind of the thing that's right in front of these people. Because what, 50 plus days ago, they had just crucified the Messiah. He's talking to Jews, a lot of whom, many of whom were there standing at the cross and jeering the day before crucify him. That morning, crucify him, crucify him. And so he just, he doesn't avoid that. He's not like, man, this is awesome. Okay, I'm just going to tell you how much Jesus loves you. He doesn't start there. How does he start? He starts with, with the fact that they are a ruin and we are a ruin. Um, verses 13 through 15 are astounding in the candor and courage of their accusations. And that's really a mark of the Holy Spirit in Peter. And I want that to be a prayer for us, that we would pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill me and give me courage to, to preach Christ? Because the Holy Spirit loves to spotlight Jesus Christ. So that's what Peter does here. Um, in verse 13, he says, your God, the one God, the God of the Jews, right? That's what he's talking to, has validated Jesus by raising him from the dead after you crucified him. Yeah, the one that Pilate, the Roman governor, tried to release. Um, but you wouldn't let Pilate release him. Um, so there's, there's a quote from Paul Miller who wrote J-Curve which is a great book, I'd highly recommend it. He says, on three different occasions, Peter rebukes Jewish men for their murder of Jesus. Pentecost is the first time that Peter does this when he gets up and preaches his first sermon and with the boldness of a lion. And then this is the second time. And both times he rebukes straightforwardly his audience, his, congreg- his people in front of him for murdering the author of life. Um, so verse 14, it gets even. He, he, takes it, he takes it up a notch, kicks it up a notch, um, he says, Pilate um, said, I'm going to give you a choice. He, he, goes, he drills down into this embarrassing, horrifying fact. Pilate said, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to try to let Jesus go. I'm going to put before you Jesus, who seems innocent to me, and I'm going to put a murderer in front of you. And he said, he says to these guys, you picked the murderer to go free instead of, um, instead of Jesus. But it gets even worse than that. He says this, he goes on to say, and you killed the author of of life. Can it get any worse than that? You talk about, this is the perfect example of sawing off the branch that you're sitting on. The one who's, who made all things and sustains your very breath and your heartbeat and who decides whether you go to be with his father or, or to perish and to carry your own sins and to be apart from God and suffering God's wrath and judgment forever, that very one the one who sustains your life, you killed him. You put him on a cross. That is, you talk about a, a bad, um, bad wearing a pair of bad idea jeans. Man, that is, that is the worst thing you can possibly do. Um, but he doesn't stop there. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And what's Peter's next line? Does he just keep on crushing him? Does he say, so now you're gonna be squished like jelly on toast? He doesn't say that. It would be fair because that line showing us what God in our presence provokes in us, showing us what the cross says about our own sinfulness and our opposition to God and how we want to be in charge, and we'll do anything for God not to be in charge, that takes a lot of different forms, and I'll get to this in a second. It can be, it can take religious forms or it can take irreligious forms where we just clearly go our own way, okay? Um, but he, he preaches the cross and he shows how it show, it's what, they, what we did to God and how guilty we are. And what it readies us for is a blow. It readies us for the justice that we deserve from a just and holy God who literally gave us his son and we crucified him. It doesn't get worse than that, but the cross shows us, um, shows us who we are on the inside apart from God, um, what we're born into. And so what it, makes us is it puts us in a position where we're ready for justice, but we're receptive when the good news comes, which it does. Um, I've touched on this a bit, but let me drill into it a little bit. Sharing the good news first, which I can often do because I want them to know how much Jesus loves them, is typically, is very often ineffective, and that's not what Peter starts with. In Pentecost sermon, or here, he doesn't start with Jesus loves you, Usually if I say Jesus loves you to someone, especially in this culture, they're just gonna blah, blah, blah. They're not gonna hear what I say afterwards. So what? Um, it's like a doctor coming in and telling you that you don't know. He introduces himself and just says, I can heal you. I, I don't care. Well, that, there's no context for that. I don't, I'm not listening. But if the doctor says first, he brings you into his office, they do tests on you, and then he comes in and says, you have stage four cancer. Now I'm really concerned. That's bad news. Now I'm listening. And then he comes in and says the exact, he says the exact same thing. It's the same message, but I can heal you. 100% effectiveness. Now I'm listening. Now the same message is good news because what? It was preceded with what's real, what's always been real, the bad news. And that's what Peter starts with. Um, and that's one of the reasons I'm so pumped about what Nathaniel was saying. This, um, this talk, the, the second talk of three, Um, This Thursday, in a synagogue close by on Bering, because the topic for, it's it's three, the three talks are centered on creation, but this topic that they've chosen, that we've all chosen together, but um, I didn't choose it, is on original sin in particular, and how that comes in for the Christian and for the Jew in Genesis chapter 3 with how we chose to go our own way and not, and not to obey God and trust Him and love Him, and how we've been suffering the consequences ever since, being born into a rebellion against God. Um, and man, I get to talk about the very bad news that our sin isn't just a behavior, it's, it's our constitution. We need a heart transplant. You talk about a divine setup. The fact that the, good, the bad news gets us ready for makes us receptive for, give me some good news, please. So don't think for a second I'm not gonna preach Christ on Thursday, uh, because our understanding of our own brokenness sets us up to need a Savior. And that's exactly what the Bible does, and that's exactly what the cross does and accomplishes. Um, Francis Schaeffer, um, well, let me, let me say this. So Jesus, briefly, Jesus, um, in his ministry, he's loving, he's, he's healing, he's preaching the good news of the kingdom, but he's also showing us that we desperately need someone to stand in our place before an almighty God and take the hit for us and to live a life of obedience from the heart in our place. And one of the ways he does this is on the Sermon on the Mount, he drills down into what the law really tells us, right? And he's like, the chief law is to love God with all of your heart. Which of us has ever done that for a second? And then he goes, well, check this out, um, hatred if you hate your brother in your heart, which, which of us hasn't done that once? Which of us hasn't done that a thousand times? If you hate your brother from your heart, that's where murder starts from. That's where murder starts from. So then there's a sense in which you haven't committed murder, but it's where it comes from, and that's how God sees you, okay? And he, can, he also connects lust in the heart. Which of us hasn't, he said, if you lust after a woman, speaking to men or women, if you lust after a man, but if you lust after a woman, if you look lustfully at her, you've, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, the, so under, under God's law, because he cares about our hearts and because he sees past all the pretenses, he sees past all the smoke screens that we put up for other people, and by the way, for ourselves, because we don't want to go down there. God sees straight through all that to our hearts. And that is very bad news because of what we're born into and because of the disease condition of our hearts but it sets us up for the very one who's speaking to us and he's going to go and give his life for us, Jesus, right? Um, So he shows us the state that we're in, in and of ourselves. Francis Schaeffer, um, he was a teacher and an author in the 20th century, and he, um, he talks about the idea of an invisible recorder. He says, imagine an invisible recorder being around your neck. And it picks up not only all the things you do, but all the things you say and all of your thoughts for your whole life. And at the end of our life, you, at the end of your life, you play it. And his question is, so it's all everything. There are no secrets, right? Everything you've thought, said, done, or undone or not done. Sin isn't just what we do. It's the things that we ought to do that we don't do, right? From the heart, everything from the heart. And he says, at the end of your life, you play it. Would, would, you, would you stand up underneath the scrutiny of that, even by your own standard, even by your own standard for yourself and your standard for other people, even just removing a holy and righteous God standard and just, would you even stand up under your own standard? And of course, if any of us are honest for a second, we say, no way, no way I would stand up. Um, we all fall short, and here, here's what Peter says, here's how short we fall, the cross. The cross shows us that when the author of life comes to us, we nail him to a cross. We beg for a murder in his place. And we say, his blood be on our own heads. Because the fact is, he went to the cross for you and for me. Even though we weren't there, it was our sin that put him there. It was our sin that he paid for, and he did it gladly, and he did it willingly. Paul Miller again, he says, the men of Jerusalem are complicit in the public, gruesome murder of the Son of God. The only truly good person who ever lived was tortured to death, and no one is repenting for it. The worst sin humanity ever committed, the murder of God has to be confronted. Um, And here's the thing, it is confronted by presenting the cross. Um, This is part one of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the offense of the cross so we can see our need and people can see their need for someone to intervene and that someone is Jesus Christ. Um, Another way that this has been told really effectively in my opinion is through a, a short story that a guy will share with people and to convey the same thing Peter does, like, hey, God created all things, but then we fell, and we're, we're born into rebellion against God. And Peter does that by taking his people, these people straight to the cross, right? Well, you did it. You nailed him there. But, there's a big but, right? The good news is coming. This guy does it through a story that he calls the slap. It's a two-minute story, and so he could probably share it in an elevator, an alley elevator. But but it conveys that same thing, and he just talks about how, if you, if you slapped, he talks to the person, if you slap me, okay, I'd be, or if, let's say, if I slapped you, you'd be offended. Like, but but then I could maybe be, say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! That was just a dare." Uh, sorry, hey, let me go buy you a taco or something. Uh, you know, we you could you could it would be really offensive, but you could gloss over it, work through it, possibly. Um, then if you slapped, let's say, you slapped your father in the face, that's taking it up a notch. That's extra offensive. Why? Same action, different recipient. You're slapping someone who's got more authority in your life, who's worthy of more respect. Okay. And then let's say you go up and if you have a religious leader, maybe I'm your religious leader, your pastor, and you come and slap me in the face. Maybe while I'm preaching. I don't know that I'm above your clapping your father. I'm probably not, but that's an extra offensive. Then you go up and you slap. Let's, he's in England. He's in Oxford teaching. He says, go up and slap the queen of England. All right. So in our case, I, 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 I'm not even going to use the president because we'd have all sorts of reactions there, but some of you would love to slap Trump. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but either way, it's the figure. It's the figure who's worthy of the respect because of the position that he or she holds. You slap the queen of England, we got big trouble on our hands, all right? Um, The action is the same every time, but the difference is who are you slapping? And he says, the fact is the Bible shows us from Genesis three onward, the author of life, the God who made us for himself, who holds our life in his hands, who is good in every way and there's no sin in him and who has all power. Sin is us slapping him in the face. There's a whole book in the Bible called the book of Hosea, which shows us that our sin isn't just something that, it's not just um, an infraction. It's something that is, God takes it personally because it's a personal rejection of him and he made us for himself. And sin kills us and he loves us. And so it's like committing adultery against him with him being our husband. So sin is like slapping God in the face over and over and over. It offends him because he's good. Um, the cross is a metal detector that finds all of our sin and collects it. It's like a furnace, to use a different metaphor, that heats everything up and all the impurities in our heart rise to service. The cross shows us all of our sin. That's one of the things that it does. Um, and one of the things that I want to say to you that a good proclamation of the gospel does. It gets the person ready, possibly, with God's, with God's moving and God's um, working to receive the good news, the gospel. Um, the fact is that, and we do this, and I mentioned I'd come back to this so briefly and then point two, we do this in different ways, whether religious or irreligious. So the religious do this in a way of, I'm gonna obey these things. I'm gonna obey these things so that you'll give me what's coming to me, which is whether, whether it's eternal life, peace, a full bank account, kids, I, I don't know, a good job, whatever it is, it's, it's a sense of obeying so that God can owe me. That's a sense of, of, a sense of control, that's not at all what the true religion is, not at all what God made us for. It's not at all the gospel. Or we could do it just by rebelling and running away from God and living a life that we want to live. Either way, we want to be the ones in control, not God. But he's the only one that should be, and that's rebellion, and that's, that's what our disposition um, in the first man. We're born in, under the first Adam, uh, but what we need to be is born, born anew. And so, that's what Peter shows us here. That's the first message of the cross. The second message is, blessedly, Peter says, we must repent. And Cale said this morning in the liturgy, as he was leading us wonderfully, um, he said, quite simply, repenting is simply turning. It's turning away from whatever, whatever path you're heading down and turning toward God himself. And that's what, that's what Peter calls us to here. Notice verse 17. Peter gives them an opening. He allows them after feeling conviction of sin to believe on Christ before inviting them to believe on Christ. How can we, how can we, how can we do this? Um, God made us his friends to know him and to love him and to be loved by him. We have made himself, him our enemies. We have made ourselves, excuse me, his enemies. And so that I've conveyed that in a bunch of ways. Peter conveys that. Follow the slap story, whether you use that or something else, whether it's creation, fall, um, redemption or the slap story, or something else, follow that with, but God has made a way for you to know him, to have your record erased, your deed forgotten and forgiven, okay? Um, can you feel, even as I say that line that all of us know, or almost all of us, we know that cognitively, and we might know that here too, and we might have put all of our chips into the basket of believing that, but even as you hear that again, with all the offense of the cross piled up first, it just like, le- it, it, it puts air back into the room. You can kind of feel yourself um, um, wanting to hear what this news is um, on your toes, on the edge of your seat. Peter's next move in verse 18 is to say that God orchestrated all this, everything. It's all written down in the scriptures. If you look at verses 20 through 26, this knocks me back on my heels again, right? Um, wait, this is part, this, this wasn't an accident. This was part of his plan. It's kind of, it's deeply and kind of strangely reassuring the fact that, whoa, okay, this, this wasn't a plan B. This did not God back. This was what he was planning all along. Verses 13, 18, 22 through 25 um, say that Jesus isn't something new. He is a fulfillment of the scriptures. Galatians 4, Paul tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He waited for the perfect time to do it. Jesus is the funnel point. He's the point through which everything flows on a funnel that's been all of history, sort of swirling down to the point of Jesus. Or if you want to use a different metaphor that I've used before, he's like an hourglass tipped on its side. The Bible is all of history starting with creation converging on this Messiah, Jesus. And out from him at this middle, this thin point where the, where the sand passes through, out through the thin point of Jesus, all the nations are to hear through our proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that he's reconciled us to himself and he's restoring us in all things um, through our restoration. Um, So that's what Peter's like, look, the whole Old Testament finds, it it points to him. Robin and and the kids and I went to go see Frozen last weekend, Frozen 2, sorry, and um, we actually arrived early for maybe the first time in our lives at a movie, and the lights were still on, and then they went down, and we saw every preview, which I don't know that I've ever done that before. There are a lot of, you know, the previews can be the best part, because then there's all the anticipation that's coming, right, of the actual movie, but we saw all the previews, and there were a ton of previews. And then finally, uh, silence your cell phones, and, and the Frozen 2 comes on. And it's right then, of course, that I had to go get up and use the restroom. I, I decided not to, and so it was two, two hours of pain. But um, the point is what were all those previews for? They were all previews for the main attraction. The main attraction is why we were there. There's a sense in which Peter says in all these verses um, look, everything else has happened in history. Um, is the previews. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he mentions them in verse 13. Moses, Samuel, and the prophets, and even and especially your handing over the author of life to Pilate and him giving you Jesus to crucify. All this was for the main event and the main event. So not only all the scriptures, all the Jewish scriptures, the whole Old Testament, but all of history. The point of all of history is this Messiah, this man, this author of life that we've put on the cross, Jesus. The point of all of history is to get Jesus to the cross because it's the only way that we can be saved. Um, And Peter says, we are witnesses of these things. We actually ate with him and drank with him. We saw him crucified, and then we ate meals with him in locked rooms afterwards. Um, You don't preach like this about a man that you still think is dead. Okay, But Peter was, and he was full. And he's also saying, look, we're full of the spirit of Christ himself, which I'll finish with. And that right there is also a witness to the fact that he's alive. Jesus himself is now living in us, reigning from heaven by his spirit in us, empowering me to sit up here and see this man healed and then preach the good news of Jesus Christ to you. What you meant for evil, God was choreographing and superintending and designing Because he loves you so much, and it's the only way that you can be saved. You see how Peter is funneling them toward the point of Jesus? That's what the whole of history and the whole of the Old Testament does. It funnels us to Messiah. And that's what I want to do this Thursday with our Jewish and Muslim friends. It's what I want you to do. It's what I want to do with the encounters that I have, with the relationships that God has entrusted to us. But a lot of times we got to start with the bad stuff that the cross shows about us first, Right? Got to start with with that news so that people are ready. They're receptive for the good news of Jesus. In fact, yes, the cross shows us how screwed up and deranged and broken and shattered we are. But even more than that, it shows us how much God loves us because He's willing to do that to save us. Um, so, So they're like, This has been the plan all along for what? And Peter says, For you, for your rescue. For your salvation, Nick Ripkin—not his real name—he um, was a missionary in Somalia, and he wrote a book called *The Insanity of God*, which I'm listening through. And, and he had a Muslim co coworker that, who was a lovely man who came into his office one day in this war-torn area, impoverished beyond imagining, just from what I am reading and what we know. Um, who came into his office one day just weeping—not crying, but weeping—and he teased out of him that what had happened is he had passed a Somali earlier that day. He had passed a Somali mother who was nursing her child under a tree, and the child was kind of whimpering but feeding. And um, a couple hours later, he went somewhere and came back, and he passed by her again. And he really noticed the the child whimpering more and squirming around, and it turns out that um, the mother had died while she was giving her last ounce of life to this child. And she Ended up saving the child there and then, but also because he was able to take the child, and the story ends well for the child. The child was saved, the child was brought into a loving family. But she gave her life in death to save the child. And that's just a faint but true picture of of the other thing the cross shows us that God actually gave his own son, and because Jesus is the Son of God and fully God and fully man, he actually gave himself body and soul to save you and to save me. That's, that's the measure. The cross is the measure of our evil and wickedness, but it's also the measure of God's love for us. And so that's what, that's what Peter says. So Peter in verse 19, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. God used this to save you. Turn to him now. This is, this, um, that your sins may be blotted out is Old Testament, cultic, sacrificial language. Not occultic, but Uh, cultic, like priestly temple language that every Jew here would have cued to, as Peter said that. He's saying, uh, this lamb, Jesus, in the past, in centuries before, we've sacrificed lambs and bulls and goats. By God's word, innocent things have died in our place so that we, the guilty, can stand before God and be free. None of those things actually took away sin. They were all pointers. Again, think about the funnel, the hourglass. They were pointers to one person who would come and actually take away sin. And this is him, Jesus. His sacrifice actually blots out all of your misdeeds, past, present, and future. And it makes you right again. Cale earlier was, uh, said something like, um, I wish I could remember exactly, but he was talking about righteousness and how we're not, we're not fully righteous. And there's a sense in which that's true. And that's what he was saying is that we... We still sin all the time, and that's the encouragement we want to give each of you every week and every day and ourselves. That's what the Bible tells us. If we say we have no sin, we're liars, and the truth isn't in us. The, Bible, the, the, the cross and belief on Jesus Christ doesn't make us sinless. Um, but what, another, another there's another fact about our righteousness, and that is that the minute, the second you believe on Jesus Christ and look to his cross and say, that's what I deserve, it's a measure of my own sin, and it's a measure of the love of God for me. What happens is that when you believe on Christ as your Lord and your Savior and the one who took what you deserved, his righteousness and his perfection, not at all needing to die, but dying for you in your place, not only does he take your sin, in that instance, there's a spiritual transaction that happens that's done by God himself, the Spirit of the living God. He takes your sin and paid for it on the cross, and you are clothed in his, actually and truly and really, in his righteousness. So when God sees you, he does see you as perfectly righteous, regardless of where you are, if you trust in Christ and you trusted in Jesus Christ. But you get to work that out throughout the course of your life. You will still sin, and you won't be made actually perfect until you see him face to face, but you are considered with his perfection by God himself. Does that make sense? And so that's a beautiful truth um, that we get here and that Peter is conveying. So... Um, our sins are blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ. Point three, um, we can be refreshed, and I'm gonna speed up and these are much shorter. We can be refreshed just briefly. Peter doesn't stop with, uh, we need to repent and we're forgiven and when we look to Christ, the one that we crucified. God used his very cross, um, the measure of our sin to save us. Um, he was the sacrifice that God demands because of his justice. And he has satisfied God. And because of that, God has raised him from the dead. He doesn't just stop with that. He says, thirdly, we can be refreshed. Um, Don't just repent. Don't just be cleansed of sin. Be refreshed. You see that in verse 20. With what? With with him, with his very presence. That's what salvation is. It's being cleansed of our sin. But the minute we trust on Christ and his righteousness counts for us and our sin goes to him, paid for on that cross, what happens? He comes to live inside of us. We're no longer represented by the first Adam in whose rebellion we're born into. We're born again. And that is, that, that is made a fact and a reality, regardless of where our feelings are at any one time, by the fact that God now chooses, having made us pure, to come live inside us. We become his temple, the place where he lives and resides. We, I do. We are together, his temple, his people, where he dwells. Um, his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ himself comes to live inside of us. And, um, And it's about a relationship. He comes to live with you, to know you, to love you and to be loved by you. He sets, what Jesus does is and what the spirit signifies and makes real. He brings Christ to us and he sets a broken bone. The broken bone that we all, whether or not we can articulate it in our life that we all know is broken, it's out of joint. It's like all of our lives, we're walking like this, you know, Uh, even if we don't want to admit it to ourselves, other people can see it. Usually other people can see the fact that we're limping, you know, metaphorically, way before we can. We hide it. Um, Other people can see the fact that I have a second nose, you know, on my forehead or a third ear right in the middle of my forehead. Uh, And I'm just like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. No, we all know inside and then through the testimony of others and through the brokenness of the world, something's wrong. But God came to set that bone right, all right, to take that weirdness. That, that sort of thing that never should have been there in the first place away. Um, and to draw us into a love relationship with him. That's what it's about. It's ultimately being forgiven of sins isn't the end game. It happens. It's real. Christ accomplishes that. But he does that so that we can be brought back into relationship with the lover of our souls. What did Augustine say? Page one of the confessions. One of the greatest books ever written. He was a great sinner, Augustine. He was, a, he was, a, he was an African with a sex problem. He was a sex maniac but he received the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and realized that God is a lover of his soul. God was the thing that he had been running after, the doors he'd been knocking on in other ways all of his life. God was that, God was that door. Um, God, God is, he says, oh Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are what? Restless until they rest in you. Can you identify with that? Anything else that you're running after, you're running after it because you're restless and you're, you're telling yourself the white lie even if you don't articulate it, maybe this thing is going to bring me rest. It won't. But God will, and he, he, is, in fact, he is, in fact, our rest. Um, and Peter says this, this really cool thing here. He says um, in verse 20, that times of refreshing, repent so that what? Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What does that mean? That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I think, yes, it might mean that Christ is gonna come back one day. He's reigning now, and he will return bodily as the king to make all things right, and that's the last and briefest point. But also, I think that it, it could very well mean that Christ sins himself by his Holy Spirit, and Peter is sitting here filled with the Spirit, testifying to the Christ, the fact that Christ is risen and ascended and alive, and he's saying, believe on him. Not only are you made right with God, but he comes to live inside of you, and to satisfy you in the deepest of places, and to make you his child once again, to restore the broken bone. Um, so it's, it's refreshing. It's, it's that his love might be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us, Romans 5.5. 5. Um, Nick Ripkin again, the guy that wrote The Insanity of God, his Muslim friend again. He, so Nick lost, when he was over in Somalia, they lost their 16-year-old son And he was, of course, heartbroken, he and his wife, and didn't know how they'd go on. One of the amazing things that happened was that his Muslim friend that worked with him was now living in a different country. He showed up the day of the funeral or the day before, having walked on foot five days from wherever he lived to honor his friend by being at the funeral of his son. And he walked through deserts, mountains, and minefields to get there, and... um, so when Nick was leaving the country um, a little while later, they, the guy kind of last words to Nick. He said, in front of a bunch of other Muslim peers and friends, he said, um, one thing I noticed that was different is how everyone had an assurance that your son was with the Lord, was saved. And he said, we don't have that. We Muslims, how, do you, how do you have that, and why haven't you told us about it? Not just why haven't you told, how do we get that? Why haven't you told me? Why haven't you told this group? But why hasn't your country come over here and told us how we can be sure? Um, and that's one of the things Peter's saying, is that this, when we believe and trust on Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of us and assures us of the love of God that he's never going to leave us. He's never going to unsun you. Are undotter you because of your behavior? When we're unfaithful, He remains faithful. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. And finally, and so briefly, and then I'll close. He reigns. If you've noticed, I've all my points have been ours. I don't always do that. I don't usually do that, but it just happened. He reigns and will return and restore all things. Um, that's what Peter really finishes with, and it just you know, it just reminds us of the fact that um, Christ is reigning, and he is, we are in the age now where he is alive, reigning from heaven, and he um, is calling us to preach the good news of the gospel that people might be reconciled to him and brought back home. And, And the message as Peter finishes, he says, look, we were called to preach it to you first, but Christ has come that the nations might know him. That just as in the beginning, he made all people to be his children and to know him, and then focused in on one people to tell the nations about that message. That one people failed in their mission, but Jesus embodies that people. And he has come first for his own people, but then through them to tell every single person on the face of the earth, from every nation under heaven, um, that God is reconciling people to himself and he's come to restore all things and he is reigning and one day he's going to return and make all things new but that's the message that we've been given and what and the way that that now it can go to all nations is that the law was such an impediment if you imagine i mean i've said this before but um if you think of all the earth sort of as it as it is in the old testament where you're on the earth you really don't have a hope of being saved. And then you get into the Holy Land, into Palestine and, and Israel and Canaan, and you're part. Of, and that's the land that God's given his people, Israel. And then you get to Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of kings where the temple is, and you go up, because Jerusalem is up on a, up, it's elevated, it's high up. And then you go from there to the temple mount, and you go even higher. And then the farther in you get to the temple, the, less, the fewer people are able to go in. The women have to stop at the court of the women. The Gentiles outside of that, if you're not Jewish, sorry, and then, if you're a man, you can be a little bit closer in. And then, if you're and then if you're not a priest, forget about it. And then there's one priest a year that can go in once a year to the closest place where God's presence actually is, where sacrifice is made, so that all of us can, so that the Jews can be in His presence. It's and the law is a sort of symbol of the fact that we have to go through all these barriers, these sacrifices, obeying these laws to get to God. And what Jesus is one of the things that Peter shows here. He's a laser. He's a laser that just bores a hole through all those barriers and makes a way for us to go right into the holy of holies, right into the presence of God. And when he breathed his last, the curtain that separated that holy of holy place from the rest of the world was ripped open. But That was the, God's way of saying exactly what I just said and more, that anyone from any nation, it doesn't matter who you are, can ha- now has open access to my presence. How though? through the laser, through Jesus. You gotta come in through the way that he's made. Um, when I was in middle school, I, I played football very badly and uh, I was a tailback and uh, Chris remembers, maybe. And uh, he doesn't remember any of my plays though because they were all so bad. But I had, you know, if you had a great fullback, that was kind of, the, I figured that out quickly. If I didn't have a good fullback and they sent me on a sweep, I was toast. Tackled in the backfield for sure. But if I had a good fullback who ran through the line or did a sweep around and went in front of me, you know, the fullback, the quarterback's up front, and then the fullback, and then I'm behind the fullback. And if the fullback does his work and plows a hole for me, well, my job's easy. I just get to run straight behind him. And that's what Jesus is. It's a silly example, but it's true. Jesus is the one who clears the way for anyone to know him, because he has kept all the things that we couldn't keep. And he paid for all the sins that we've heaped up between us and God. Um, And he's coming again. And that's what Peter says, and you know, as I close, just close, he taught, he finishes with the stinger in the tail, which we're often, again, scared to do, but he finishes talking about, he says, turn, what are his last words in verse 26? Turn from your wickedness. Um, The fact is that he's going to come, I think it's verse 20 or 21, and he's going to destroy all who are opposed to him. In other words, all who haven't hidden in him by faith. Um, Now is the time to run to Christ. Now is the time before his return while he's reigning to heed the gospel call and to come. And we, we've lost um, that sense of urgency and, and that's not doing anybody any favors, not to tell them that they're in a very precarious position and the time is short and the time is near. Because you could, the fact is, we don't know when he's gonna return, but we don't have long on this earth and we don't have any security that we're gonna be alive past right now, walking out this door. Things happen every day. You can't, to, to think that you have a long life ahead of you is foolishness, it's presumption. And so to get right with God now, we were in our anchor group, and I'll close with this, um, I and four other guys, and this, this week, um, one of them was just commenting on how um, we're studying Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter two, he says, in the Old Testament, there were penalties, severe penalties, for not obeying the Lord and for not coming to him as he required. Um. The earth opened up and swallowed people. Um, uh, there were severe penalties and consequences for not, being, for not walking in obedience to God. And, and, um, and he says, how much more, if he's given us his own son and we just walk away, or we reject him? How much worse will it be for us um, if we reject the son of God that God has sent and said, this is how much I love you. This is how, what I've done for you. I've gone to literally infinite lengths to save you and I'm, I'm telling you to come. And we have the privilege of telling other people there is a way, there is one way, and that's it. If there were another way, I promise you, God wouldn't have put his son through that. But there is one way, and because of what he's done, anyone can come. Um, but come now, come to him now, because he is, he is our peace. So let me, let me close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Peter's sermon. We thank you that he paints such a clear picture of how to proclaim the gospel and of the gospel. Um, And then he shows us the bad news of the cross only to show us, only to prepare us for what good news it is because otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Jesus, thank you for being our our sin bearer, our sin sacrifice. Thank you for enduring the white hot wrath of God um, in his justice against our our, our injustice and our evil and our thoughts and our ways for making us right, for setting the bone. I pray that you would put the wonder of the gospel in our hearts and in our lips, on our lips. Help us to be bold. Holy Spirit, come and fill us with gladness and joy that we might go out from here like calves skipping from the stall, that, our, that the way that we live and the way that we, and the words that we use would proclaim Christ to people. That there, you would just do away with being ashamed of the gospel. They would be the one thing that we would boast about. Not because we're great, because you're great and you call sinners to, to come home in Christ. So we love you, we bless you, in Jesus' name, amen.